For the past six months, we have dedicated our time, money and resources to dig deep into what was once one of England's most respected football clubs. Charlton Athletic, now one of a number of clubs owned by Belgian businessman Roland Duchatelet, share scouts, players and staff within a secretive and highly controversial network. We've got the accounts of former players, managers and board members, heard from network scouts and advisors, and even obtained never-before-seen emails sent from Duchatelet in a bid to find out exactly what has happened at the Valley. You're listening to Getting to Know the Network. Start episode 3 on the morning of Tuesday, March the 11th, 2014. At 10am, the club announced that Chris Powell had been relieved of his duties as first-team manager. Seven hours later, Jose Riga was announced as Charlton's new head coach, with Carol Fry named as his assistant, both on three-month contracts. Riga did have three second-tier promotions to his name in Belgium, with SC Visa and RAEC Mons. But could he keep Charlton up? In June 2011, Roland du had hired him as head coach at Standard Liège. He lasted a year but quit in June 2012 after a disappointing fifth-place finish in the Dupla Pro League. His most recent position before arriving in the Valley was as co-director of the football department at the Aspire Academy in Qatar. Riga arrived at Charlton's training ground alongside Thomas Driesen while Chris Powell was still clearing his office. Powell was adamant that he shouldn't come into contact with the club's new head coach, so after he said his goodbyes, Riga met Alex Dyer, Ben Roberts, Damien Matthew and Lawrence Bloom. Riga remembers the meeting. I came with my IDs and they were there with their knowledge. I have said it immediately in the first meeting. I mean, they are also very professional. Uh, everybody was seeking at this moment that Certainly Alex Dyer will leave the club because generally when a manager will leave the club, assistant goes with that. Uh, I had a discussion with Alex and a very fair discussion about this situation and I said, okay, I have nothing against Alex Dyer, of course. So if he wants to stay and to help us, I think it can help us. And so we had immediately this fair discussion and for the rest, of course, they give me a lot of their knowledge about the championship, the opponent, and I give my own opinion about how I see the team, what I want to do, and I made all all of them. They know their job, and I think that we had immediately a, a good um, relation about about the work. So it was it was down, let's say, smart people who, who want the same. <laughs> to save children and to do the best for the club. Damien Matthew has a similar recollection. Chris Parks came to speak to us because we just sort of said goodbye to Chris in the morning and Jose was in with Carol and we got told that he wanted to have a, a chat with us and, and basically five minutes with the staff. So myself, Alex Dyer, Ben Roberts and Lawrence and Errol that just had to come and speak to Jose and, and Carol was there and two thirds of Jose from straight away from day one. He was very considerate of the situation because he recognised what a, uh, a great job Chris had done. And obviously we'd all done it in retrospect and he knew we were friendly with Chris as well. So that's one thing I'll always give Jose credit for. 
is in that time from March to the end of the season, he was really, really good in terms of his personal skills. He obviously wanted us to tell a little bit about ourselves because he wasn't aware of us and didn't know what we what we were about, really. And I thought it was actually uh, quite a clever way of breaking the ice because it just allowed us to speak about our qualities and then it was up to him to make the decision what he thought was right. Assistant manager Carol Fry felt the meeting went well. So they told just the situation as, as it was. The owner called me to come in. Uh, we come in with a with a task, with a, with a challenge, and I think that's a, a correct and a clear message. I think it's never the new manager or new arriving manager's decision to change. Every situation is the same. Someone has to go, and people feel bad. A new one comes in, and, and we we knew that it was not easy for them because if, if you achieve promotion with the squad, with the staff, it creates a, a bond that that is very intense. Um, it took some days for them, but they absolutely did their job, and I, I, I'm sure they will say the same thing about uh, the, the, the collaboration within the staff. And there was little time for the players or staff to bemoan the loss of Pal. The next day, Riga's Charlton would face a visit from Huddersfield Town, the first of three matches in six days that included a relegation six-pointer against Millwall. It soon became clear that, like Pal, Riga wasn't about to bow to the club's owner. Alright do my job with my ideas. If it's not the case, I think I don't stay in the club. I think the owner knows. Never really try, because he knows. My personality was the same when I was in Standard. I'm the manager, so I'm responsible which player. And in a, in a defeat or in a win, I'm responsible. That's, that's the job of a manager, I think. If, if I die, it's with my ideas. It has uh, always been uh, in 25 years of, of manager, I never changed my way to do. Never, never. I cannot, I cannot. I can discuss, I can give some explanation, but no really justification because that's my job. Mm-hmm. And they are all the job in football, maybe I'm able to do. His first team coach, Damien Matthew, again. To Jose's credit, he judged everything on his merit. So he judged people in terms of the staff on the merit and notice what work they could do. And then also it was about players. And we've always said about the, the network is that if the player was good enough, then he would have an opportunity. No one would ever want to stand in the way of any player if he showed the right attitude, he had the right qualities to go and play and perform. Jose just quickly worked out that, and you could see that in the training, the players coming through the network, of course they had certain qualities, but were nowhere near the level of championship football. His team selection seems to support that claim. During Riga's 16 games in charge of Charlton in 2014, Johan Taram, Loik Nego, Piotr Pochacic and Anil Koch didn't feature once. In fact, the six players brought in from Duchatelet's network in January 2014 were available to make a combined total of 96 starts in that period. Riga chose to name them in his starting 11 just 17 times. Since the release of Getting to Know the Network and the emails revealed in episode 2, Roland du Châtelet has had several interviews in the Belgian press. The most relevant interview for this episode was with Belgian newspaper outlet Nuschblatt. While discussing the emails, his decision to sack Paul and hire Riga, du Châtelet said, In the end, we let Paul go early. After that, Jose Riga immediately took the presumably bad players from the network and averaged 1.5 points per match. Before that, Powell had less than one, so that's an improvement of more than 50% with worse players.
Contrary to Duchatelet's claims, on average, Powell actually gave Duchatelet's network signings more opportunities than Riga. And Riga maintains that the players' background and whether they were involved in Duchatelet's network was never important to him. He was interested in ability alone. For me, each player was the same. It was a player of Charlton. So I never had a different source. Is he coming from the network or already there? What I knew is that we need some experience, of course. Uh, some player who know the championship and the other one can help also. I think, yeah, of course, the results were, were there. So my choices were the best at, at this moment. And in general, the players acknowledged and respected that Riga wasn't going to be bullied by Duchatelet. Here's central defender Leon Court. He was trying to do things. He was trying to keep everyone like you know happy and get on with everybody. He was very welcoming. He would shake everybody's hand in the morning. The ones who were playing, the ones who weren't playing. So he wasn't like you know he wasn't a problem or anything like that. I think Riga obviously told the new owner that look. Maybe the players you brought in at the minute are not better than what we have. You know, for us to survive, we need to stick with the players that are already here because they know the league, they know the pace of it. Let's stick with them, let's survive, and then you can do your transformation. And here's Simon Church. I thought he, he obviously came in, he had a job to do, and that was to keep us up. Obviously, everyone had massive respect for Chris Powell, and he was such a good manager and a, a man manager as well. In the manner that it, they went, I didn't feel it was fair. But it's best football and it's becoming a lot more common in football now as well. So we had to move on and then obviously not a lot of people had heard from Riga. But he came in and he, and he got, us, got us disciplined. He tried to do the right things and, you know, whether I played or, or not, he, he kept the team up and that was the most important thing. Few would argue that Riga didn't do a good job in his time at Charlton in 2014. In the 16 games Riga took charge of Charlton, the club's results picked up notably. Riga actually averaged 1.37 points per game, not 1.5 as Duchatelet has said, but it's still an important turnaround. No one will ever be able to prove whether Charlton would or would not have been relegated under Powell, and we're not going to spend much time on that discussion. However, while it's true that in the 30 league matches Powell took charge of during the 2013-14 season, he averaged 0.9 points per game, it's worth noting that in the final 16 games of the previous season, Powell's Charlton earned 26 points, an average of 1.62 points per game. When Riga took over, Charlton were four points from safety. But due to postponements and the club's FA Cup run, they had four games in hand over their relegation-threatened rivals. And while Riga didn't make many changes in terms of personnel on the pitch, he did attempt to change the playing style, according to Astrich Idarovic. Uh, he wanted more more people to ask for the ball. He wanted to play more football. He wanted uh, to uh, dictate the game more than we, than we maybe did before whilst we were in a critical moment where we needed only three points. Uh, and he wanted to, to put his statement in and, uh, and play his, his football, which was a little bit more offensive than Chris Powell. And against the better sides in the division, Riga's more offensive football struggled to pay off. In his five games against top 10 opposition, Charlton managed three points out of 15, conceding 12 and scoring just twice. However, in the five games against teams in 15th or below, Charlton picked up 12 out of a possible 15 points. They won the key matches. You always felt that this is an opportunity to win, to make sure we don't get beat. 
So we just took each game as if it came, we took each game off. And it was interesting, with probably the most poignant game being the Sheffield Wednesday game, where at 2-0 down, Jose was thinking of doing one or two things. And we said, no, just keep it the same. And that was brilliant, because he listened to us to start, kept it the same, got back to 2-1, and then we won that game 3-2. So little things like that, I've just got to say, is the mark of Jose, is that he was prepared to listen, even in really precarious situations. Riga didn't try and reinvent the wheel in those 16 games in 2014. He used Chris Powell's players, he listened to Chris Powell's staff, and where he felt necessary, he made adjustments. He won over the players, the supporters, and earned seven wins and three draws in his 16 games in charge, helping to ensure Charlton stayed in the championship. So naturally, the expectancy from everyone inside and outside the club was that Riga would get the job permanently. He made it clear at the time he wanted it, and CEO Catherine Mier was keen for him to be appointed. Roland de Châtelet, however, wasn't. I was the first, the first to be surprised because, as you said, I think that um, the media, the players, the fans, everybody recognised even the other managers. So why, really, I, I don't know. I don't know. I still don't know. The only thing, uh, no, even not. I mean, no, I don't know. I don't know. And that's that's very strange for me, and it was certainly a big disappointment for me because I was feeling very good in, in, in Charlton. But he asked me to to take the club because most of the time I, I have no real Asian, and certainly not at this moment when when I was in Charlton. I even didn't think about about the future. I mean, I was just focused on the present. I, it was not for me uh, my business after what I'm going to do or not and it's quite stupid what I did because I think that I can put this condition in my contract. The decision to not keep Riga came as a surprise, another blow to Charlton's players and staff who even today are still none the wiser. I thought he was going to continue um, but that didn't happen uh, and uh, once again it's I, I left after that, went back to Standard Liège and uh, and I started playing again for Standard Liège. Uh, so uh, uh, it's hard for me to say why he didn't get the job, uh, why he didn't continue, why he already may, maybe what I heard, maybe he already signed another manager uh, when he knew that we were going to stay up. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard to know uh, what the, the boards think nowadays. Here's what two-time Player of the Year Jordan Cousins thought. Yeah, I thought it would have been the, the best thing to do because I thought we finished the season well. I thought we were getting a, a good group of players together. But obviously, uh, yeah, I was surprised when I found out that he wasn't going to be the manager the next season. It was a bit of a surprise, really, because I thought that would be the, the general thing to do because we finished, we finished the season so well, but that wasn't the case. and uh, There was a new manager coming in. I was, I thought they would definitely keep him on. I mean, I don't know what's gone on in meetings with the chairman and, the, and Riga behind closed doors. Maybe Riga wanted money to spend and maybe the chairman wanted to be one that picks the team. Who knows? We've got no proof of either claim. and We've asked the question to countless people and no one knows or understands why Riga wasn't given the permanent job, including his assistant, Carol Fry. Yeah, I was surprised. I was surprised. Yeah, that uh, the decision only the owner can make. I knew that uh, Jose Riga really wanted to stay, which is different for me as I signed, we both signed a, a three-month deal with a challenge. Um, and I, I knew that 
after these three months, or I would not stay there. We've also attempted to contact Roland Duchatelet with no success. Riga wouldn't be the only one leaving the club. Duchatelet inherited a club with a number of players out of contract. Johnny Jackson and Michael Morrison did sign new deals, but Dorian Dervit left for Bolton. And despite the club claiming on May the 22nd that it was their desire to keep Ben Hamer, the goalkeeper reluctantly joined Leicester City after trying in vain to push through a new contract to Charlton. I remember I tried to sort an hour back in, back in February, March. They were messing about there. We'd then finished the season and I'd gone off on holiday and you know they they were messing about over offering me a new contract whether they were going to uh, offer me one or not and then they offered me one about, about, I think it was about a week and a half after the season had finished but by that point I was already I'd already been talking to Leicester and pretty much agreed a contract with them when you're a footballer there's only so long you can wait around for someone and I was happy there I was happy I was happy living in the area I was living Chisler, you know loved living down there loved playing for the Charlton but you know they, they were messing about with the contract you know I just decided well you know if, if they did want me there then it would have been resolved months ago not not a week after the season so I thought well I've got to make a decision now and obviously that that came along and I, I went I decided to go up to go up to Leicester Six days later, Du Chatelet revealed who would be Riga's replacement as the club's head coach, and the name he chose was again a surprise. They didn't extend the contract of Jose Riga. At mm -hmm. that moment, I was at Wasan Bevere. Still had a contract for one year. Through his secretary, Roland Du Chatelet contacted me if I was interested in the job, and I said, OK. Uh, it was like uh, a good uh, adventure. To uh, sign like uh, for me, it was still a big team because when I was playing for Millwall, Charlton were Premier League, and it was like a traditional club. I was very thrilled to start there as a manager. Well, Peters was a former Belgian international striker who left his position at Vasselen Beveren to become head coach of the Valley. With him, he brought Guy Kiala, whose job title was performance analyst, but in reality, he was more like an assistant manager. The pair obtained their UEFA Pro license together. He also brought in his brother-in-law, Patrick van Hout, a former assistant at Mechelen. He was officially revealed as Charlton's head coach on Wednesday, May the 28th, and he believed his brief from Roland to Châtelet was clear. I think we talked a lot of things through, and he said the only thing we need to do was stay up. He mm -hmm. said, we're going to build a team and, and uh, don't put yourself under a lot of pressure because the only thing is we want a, an easy season and we don't want to get relegated. And it's also clear to start with, Duchatelet allowed Peters to have a much bigger say on recruitment than Pal. In the beginning, I took the players I wanted. OK, Joni mm -hmm. Baez, he was from Standard, but he was a guy I knew he could do the deal because I, I, I played with him and, and I knew him as a, as a player. And then Vettokele, uh, I took as well. And I think he was flying in the beginning, but then he started struggling with a Achilles injury. Uh, so in the beginning, we got the players that we wanted. As mentioned in episode two, Duchatelet discussed the signing of Veta Kelly with Feriana Ferraguzzi, a network scout and the technical director of Standard Liège's women's team. The transformation of Charlton had begun, with Veta Kelly, Franck Moussa, André Biquet, Tal Benhaim, Johan Berger-Munson and Stephen Henderson arriving in the summer of 2014. And the new arrivals came at a price, meaning Duchatelet was keen to get some of the players he considered unwanted off the wage budget. On the last day of the summer transfer window, Vice-Captain Michael Morrison was contacted by his agent, asking if he'd be interested in a move to Romanian club Astra Giurgiu. Charlton's Vice-Captain was being touted out to any interested party. 
Here's first team coach Damien Matthew again. It just hasn't been managed right above the first team. That has been the biggest, biggest problem. And i.e. there's an example of why a situation like that should never arise because never never in the wildest years would Michael Morrison think of going to and the Romanian league. Michael's a top championship player, has proven now by what and at Birmingham and he was a player that would have certainly taken Charlton to the levels that we wanted to get to. Instead, he was loaned out to Birmingham City before eventually joining them on a free transfer. Simon Church was another who was no longer needed. The players that, that were there before, I think they were getting treated differently to you know, the new players that were getting brought in. From the outset, I think there was obviously a ploy to get certain people out of the club. The owner didn't want certain players at the club. There's ways of doing it, there's ways of going about it, and I felt... He could have done it a lot better. Another example is I think Michael Morrison got got treated and how he got spoke to as well sometimes was just was just ridiculous. There was times where I was getting left out of the squad and trained by myself or trained with the youth team. I was having weekends off where I'd come in and train by myself where where I felt I didn't deserve to and I didn't do anything wrong. Du Chatelet also had plans for Piotr Pasicek. I had uh, conversations with uh, Bob Peterson uh, because I wanted to know my situation. To be honest, it was a little bit awkward because I was training with the first team in, uh, in the preseason. I was my feeling was really well because I was adapting and I was playing with the group and uh, getting involved with the new manager. And two days before we uh, planned trip to Spain on training camp, and I, uh, I would go with the first team and everything. And I think we would uh, would be uh, traveling on Friday and on uh, Thursday. Uh, uh, I had to come to the office of the manager and uh, he said, yeah, I got uh, instructions from uh, Roland Duchatelet that you have to go to St. Troyden and if you don't, if you won't go, you'll be training with the second team. I, w- I was open to get out on loan, but at first I wanted to, to, to wait the whole preseason. But they forced me, uh, actually, and I went home and, yeah, I, I've, I've never been in a situation like that before. One day later, when the guys arrived in Spain, they had a new striker, a new signing. So I took a day and... They just, they just bought a new striker and the manager didn't know anything about it. So on the recruitment front, the honeymoon period for Bob Peters was quickly coming to an end. On August 30th, George Ducadian arrived at the club's pre-season training camp in Marbella, a player Peters knew nothing about. By this point, if he wanted to sign a player, they'd almost certainly be arriving from the network. At a certain stage when we ask for more players, they say, yeah, but OK, uh, if you want that kind of player or that position, we have a player like that in, in Standard. And then, uh, yeah, that, uh, that happened a bit with Boulot. Frédéric Boulot, I, I said, OK, I don't think he can do the job. But at that moment, yeah, when, when he said he needs to come, then uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't say he cannot come. I tried to sometimes when, when, when they said, OK, this player is coming, I said, no, I think we need another player. And uh, in the beginning, they were following me. But at the end, yeah, you feel that uh, yeah, you need to take those players because those are the players that, uh, yeah, that cost him money. And, and if they don't play at that moment at, at Standard, then, uh, yeah, they, they needed to come to Charlton. On the pitch, things started well for Peters. He didn't lose any of his opening 11 championship games. But his squad was thin and over-reliant on young players. However, with Charlton hovering around the playoff places, Du Chatelet's expectations were growing. Peters made it clear to the club's owner and CEO Catherine Mier that if Charlton were to have any hope of challenging for the playoffs, they would have to invest further in the squad. It was made clear to Peters that wasn't an option. I think we started pretty well. 
But then, uh, because the, the squad was very small, uh, with a lot of young guns, yeah, it was very hard because first 11 games were unbeaten and, and we were flying. But then at the end, every time when we were talking about new players, everything that uh, at that moment, yeah, the chairman always said no. For a manager, it's not easy because you need a certain amount of players to keep your players fresh. I think I played nearly... Uh, 25 games with the Cubs, it was nearly 30 games with the same squad and with the mm. same, nearly with the same 11, 12 players. At the end of the day, the players were naked. But then I said to uh, Katrine, uh, yeah, if we, if we strengthen the squad with three, four quality players, I think we can aim for the top six. And I, I still think we could do that at that moment. But uh, yeah, if you, if you don't get the players and you, you feel that, that a lot of players are you know, with suspensions, injuries, you know, uh, at a certain time, uh, it's going to be very difficult to gain the position where we were. Peters was frustrated and his already fragile relationship with Catherine Mier was showing signs of suffering. I think in the beginning I felt that she was she was going along with, with me and, and, and with the vision that we wanted to put in Charlton. But at a certain stage, because you can't get those players in, it's not easy for her to, to sit and have arguments with <laughs> with the manager every day. Because for me, she was also a bit the woman that, that I blame. Because as a, as a manager, you want always new players and strengthen your team. And, and uh, we had a lot of discussions, so it wasn't it was not easy for her. Uh, also, I think with the, with the other managers, if you always have to bring the news and say no we can't get new players in uh, at the end of the day the, the managers are not happy with you but maybe it's not her fault I don't know you need to have a little bit of know-how about how it works in football and I think that was a bit the problem such that she was dropped in without any experience in, in football at that moment so I think you need some uh, yeah, some experience also to, to discuss with agents and everything and players. And, and so it's, it's not easy because she, she has to do a lot of work. Everything that's happening in Charlton, she needs to check. And, and it's not easy for her to, to do that job as well. You need to be strong at certain points. And maybe she, she has a, a lack of experience to, to do the job. That's not an uncommon view on Mier's leadership. Before becoming CEO at Charlton, Mier, a trained lawyer, spent two years as an associate at law practice Olsvang, eight months in a similar role in Brussels at Baker McKenzie, before spending just over a year as legal and international relations manager at Duchatelet Standard Liège. I fell off the pitch. I feel Catherine has done lots of positives in terms of the valley. You look at that joint of the ground, it's needed updating in certain areas, and it has, and, and, and been very, very good. But on a football perspective, I just personally felt that she was far, far from the level that was required for a championship team. That was Damien Matthew, and Simon Church held a similar view. She's obviously a nice, a nice woman, but I don't know how much experience she's had in football previous to the job. It's tough to... She did get a lot of stick, obviously. Not all of it's her fault, of course. But, yeah, there's ways of dealing with things which I feel, felt they could have done better with. Um, it didn't seem like she had too much footballing experience. Here's what Chris Powell thought. Roland doesn't come to matches. 
doesn't know the feeling of the supporters, how they are. So it's very easy from from his base in Belgium to say, that, well, this should be happening. And sometimes that it's not as straightforward as that. So I felt she was always in a difficult position. I only had three months with her, but it was quite clear it was just myself and, and, and Roland. There were those who did enjoy working with her. Guy Luzon said this when we asked him about their relationship. It was great to work with her. It was a pleasure to work with her. Mm-hmm. And I hope that I wish that every club I have, uh, I have to work with a uh, woman or like a twin. It's also worth pointing out that Mier was not the only one who struggled with Peters. His demeanour and approach was different to what the players were used to. His Jordan Cousins. He was different. Like, very different to something that they've experienced before. With having Chris Powell and Jose, they were like, I won't say similar people, but they had normal values, whereas Bob Peters was very different. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but he was. he just had different methods and different ways of communicating to people that some people didn't like. It was very difficult for some people to settle in because he was... People were not used to the way he used to communicate to people, so some people took it maybe the wrong way. It was a very eye-opening experience for myself because I wasn't one to to get into arguments with him or really voice my opinion. I'll just get on and do what I have to do, but I've never experienced that, and I know that there were some people, not just players, but staff, that are unhappy in the way that he um, addressed people. And here's Simon Church. Me and Bob Peters didn't really see eye to eye and agree with everything. I think his pre-season was too relaxed. I, t- I didn't agree with a lot of stuff he did and how he went about his, his work. It, it didn't work for me and it didn't work for a, a few players. And, you know, I couldn't talk to him. I couldn't approach him and ask him questions. Um, that would help me, my career, or help my situation. And it was a very, very frustrating time, I felt. It was definitely a different different kind of character as well. It would be an exaggeration to say Peters had lost the dressing room, but he was ruffling feathers. And at the same time, Charlton's form took a real turn for the worst. After the 11-game unbeaten start, they won just two of their next 14 league games. It prompted Mier to come out in support of Peters. Just days later, following a home defeat to Brighton, he was sacked on January the 11th, 2015. Yeah, well, my frustration is a bit that they didn't stay calm. So I couldn't finish my work, and then after one season, you could say, okay, both of the the, the, the parties, and me and Charlton, they could say, okay, we continue or not. But I think there was no uh, point at that moment uh, to change uh, the manager because things was in the, the next managers were in the same situation as me. On Monday, January the 12th, in a statement on the club's official website, CEO Catrimier said, We know how important it is to make sure this next appointment is the right one, because I understand that the club needs and deserves a head coach who can plan and take charge for the long term. The week that followed the sacking of Peters was possibly the most chaotic Charlton have had since Duchatelet brought the club. Here's Damien Matthew. I first heard about it on the Sunday. I've been told that Basically, someone had tried to get hold of me from the club. Uh, I didn't have any missed message in that. But, so I heard from a member of staff that Bob had gone. I came in the next day on the Monday and didn't get a chance, unfortunately, to see Bob or, or Patrick or Guy because, actually, they, they'd gone as well. 
and we were just told like Katrine and, and just said look they wanted me and Ben to hold the fort in Lawrence and Errol we had two excellent members of staff so we, we were led to believe that it was going to be us sort of taking it really leading up to that week and then the frustrating part was again it was a, a message that to come over to the rally after training on the Tuesday to come and meet the new manager who had been installed so in between Monday and Tuesday something had changed for whatever reason and that we could all surmise probably what has happened and and Roland's made a decision that he wanted Guy in place and, and Guy, we, we went and met Guy. On Tuesday, January the 13th, 2015, a day after Mia's statement, Guy Luzon was appointed as Charlton's head coach, Duchatelet's third appointed in 12 months of owning the club. The Israeli had previously worked as head coach of Standard Liège and his agent was Duchatelet's then advisor, Dudu Duhan. Matthew and Ben Roberts were told Luzon would take training that week and prepare the team for the weekend's clash with Watford. He, he was very clear in the way he was going to play, and we we'd done certain things, and and we so obviously we geared up all the way up until Friday's training session. Then we travelled to Watford, and then I got the phone call about half past six Friday night that he didn't have the right sort of paperwork or something, and uh, I was going to have to hold the fault again with Ben. The club announced on its official website that Luzon's work permit wasn't processed in time. There have been many chaotic moments before, but obviously Chris had experienced it, Jose had experienced it, Bob had experienced it. So it, it was probably the first time where we really felt it affected the team, and that was the frustrating part. To be able to have a manager come in on the Tuesday, do all the work, and then not be there on a Saturday, it just showed a lack of leadership and direction, and that was frustrating for me and Ben. Charlton lost 5-0 on the day to a Watford side that have since proved that with the right components, a multi-club model can breed success. Understandably, many wondered if this was Charlton's rock bottom. It wasn't. Duchatelet's experiment was failing, but they would sink lower still. That's next time on Getting to Know the Network.